You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. All right, uh, let's open up with prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we just want to say that we love you today, that that we are so grateful for everything that you've done for us, God. And so we open up our hearts and we open up our minds. We wake up on a Sunday morning and, and gather together to come and learn about you and, and be encouraged by one another and, and get into each other's lives. And so, God, I ask that this would be your words spoken and not mine, that, that this would be a signpost, a, a directional sign for, for people to to look at and, and find their way more clearly, God. So we give you this time and invite you to be the most honored guest. In Jesus' name, amen. My message today is, is called Throw Away Your Pacifier, and it's because, it's because my son, many of you guys have seen him running around uh, at the mill. He's, he's three years old, and we, and we kind of started telling him that when he turned three on December 15th, we were going to uh, have him throw away his pacifiers. Well, we didn't really realize how attached to his pacifiers he was, and so we haven't, we haven't gotten to that stage yet. But many times as a, as a father, there's moments where I'm interacting with my children, and it's kind of like God presses the pause button on, on my life in that moment and says, don't you know that that's what I tell you? How many times have I told Noah, listen and obey, listen and obey? And that simple truth, that simple statement spoken from a father to a son, God has stopped me and said, don't you know that that's what I tell you every single day? Just listen and obey, and life will be much easier. Noah says, why, many, many times. And, and I find myself trying to, trying to have a discussion with Noah on a level that would be a discussion that we would have with each other, and I just have to stop myself, and I just have to say, because Dad said so. And, and sometimes, sometimes we forget how easy life really is if we just listen to our dad. And some of the things, some of the things that are in our life, we, we have grown attached to, and we don't walk around with pacifiers in our mouth. We don't fall asleep at night. Um, only when we have a, a pacifier or a binky or whatever you want to call it. Um, if any of you guys do, you can talk to me later. But, um, but there's things definitely in our life that I know that pacify us. And these things we have to get out of our life. Now, the reason why I showed you guys cars, I was joking around with some of the people. Um, I, was, I was meeting with Ben Prinsner earlier this week, and somehow we started talking about uh, Sunday school, and it struck me. I was like, oh, yes, I'm teaching Sunday school. <laughs> and I thought, how awkward would it have been if I walked into this room at like 9.45 this morning and, and Patrick handed me the microphone? <laughs> I think I would have just opened up Romans and said, all right, we're going to read aloud. Romans 1, <laughs> verse 1. Um, and so th- thank goodness that, that Ben and I had met, and, and out of that conversation it was a reminder that that Joe was out of town and that he let me teach this. But this was something that, that I'd been thinking about um, for a while just because, just because I knew that I, I need to help Noah throw away his pacifiers, but he's so attached to them. If he finds them anywhere during the course of the day, 
he can't help but put it into his mouth. And now we don't even have that necessary, that, that, that feeling anymore that we just think, oh, let me just suck on something. If we put a pacifier in our mouth, it would just, it would just probably drive us crazy and distract us. If I had to make you guys, if I forced you to do that, you, would, you wouldn't be able to do it for very long. But there's something about a child that wants that to pacify him. It can be in the middle of the day. It can be while he's crashing his little cars that are kind of the size of Hot Wheels. He loves that movie. And when we, my wife is from Michigan, and so when we go back to Michigan for Christmas time or, or a vacation or something, um, you guys will experience this if, if some of you haven't already, um, getting on a plane with a three-year-old and then uh, my baby daughter is just over one years old. And so when you try to do that, you don't buy a ticket for, we don't buy a ticket for Kaylee. She sits on our lap. But Noah, after, after turning two, we had to buy him a ticket. And so for whatever reason, I can never buy airline tickets to have, us, to have them put us three in a row. It's like Emily, Noah, and then I'm like way at the end of the plane. And so we have to wait to board because we talk to the person when we check in our luggage, and then we talk to the person at the gate. And they're like, well, you just have to wait and then maybe talk to somebody and hope that I'm not stuck with a middle seat to try to trade with somebody who has an aisle or a window. And so it's, it's mass chaos. You have a stroller. Noah has, a, has like a Thomas the Train backpack. And Kaylee like wants to walk everywhere now, but she just goes in the opposite direction of wherever we're going. And so your, your hands are completely full, and they don't serve any, any food on the airplane anymore. And so in, or, in order to help keep them quiet, we know that we have to buy food before we get on the plane. And so you have like a, a bag for McDonald's, and then you have, <clears throat> you have your carry-on luggage, all this stuff. And then you try to fold down a stroller. And it's just... It's total chaos knowing that you're going to get on a plane and then beg some complete stranger for me to sit with my wife and kids. And the last time I did it, the guy really didn't want to trade. And so I just started telling him horror stories of what he was about to experience. <laughs> and, and then he was like, okay, I'll do it. And so he thanked me afterwards because he, he ended up in the, just across the aisle from us. And so he saw, he saw. But what we've done is what we've done is we have this, we have this uh, what do you call them, like a uh, DVD player that Noah can sit on the tray. And so every, every flight that we've ever taken, Noah has watched that movie all the way through. And so I've seen that movie, I don't know, maybe 18 times, not in full, but definitely in part. And then um, sometimes I just find myself staring at the movie and then realize that I'm watching it. But thank God for Cars and Pixar uh, entertainment that has developed this movie because it is it is it, 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 it's entertaining. The majority of you guys have seen it, and it's a kids movie. So at least if I have to show my my son something, I can actually watch it uh, while I'm sitting next to him. But why we do that is because on a two or two and a half hour plane ride, he will go completely berserk. He will go stir crazy, as some of you guys in the north in the north call it, is stir crazy. That he he just gets so tired of sitting down that he'll want to run around and you can't run around and so the funnest thing you can do is take a trip to the to the bathroom I guess and that's kind of disgusting you guys will figure that out when you have kids that are being potty trained but so you so you have to do this but 
But it's not, just, it's not just pacifiers. It's not just a movie. We have to realize that, that this is sort of human nature. And it's just only magnified because he's three and because I have to take care of him. But I think every, every single one of us, if this was like the largest accountability group in the world, we could go around and we could tell, we could share what, what sort of pacifiers we have in our life. Some of those things can be very godly. Some of them can be, you know what? You know what brings me peace is when I just go to a coffee shop and I read, I read a Christian book or I read my Bible, something like that that brings us peace. But I think that each and every one of us to have those things in our life that's it's not necessarily bad, but it's not necessarily good either. Those things that we do, those things that we allow. And so I want to I want to talk about that today. If if you guys want to open up to Romans 14, I'm going to read Romans 14 verse 12. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Who are we going to give an account to? Thank you. (laughs) Some of you guys are waiting to turn there. Let me read it again. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Who will we give an account to? Right. Who will we give an account of? Right. Not the person sitting next to you. Not your girlfriend. Not your boyfriend. Not your best friend that you know the, the victories and the failures of. We will each give an account to God of ourselves. Now, the funny thing is, the very next verse says this. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. It's funny that 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 first verse, verse 12, doesn't just stand alone. But Paul has to reiterate to then tell people, okay, then, if we are going to give an account to who? To God of who? Ourselves. Then he says, okay, then let's stop passing judgment. You'd, you, could put, you could put, I would argue, <laughs> chapter 14, verse 12 of Romans, and scratch away a lot of the Bible, and, and it could stand pretty much by itself. Because in that, in that, that highlights the Ten Commandments. And you could, if you knew them, you could kind of, you could kind of forget about them because you just have to say, I have to, I'm going to try to live as holy of a life as I possibly can because I'm not reporting myself to my friend. I'm not going to Aaron Stern and, and giving an account of myself. There will be one time that I will go in front of God, the most holy being ever, that, uh, an entity that we can't possibly think of standing next to in this current life because he is so holy. And so you could, you could have that one verse stand kind of by itself, and it would be a great encouragement to live your life as holy as you possibly could. And you wouldn't have enough time to care about the failures of the people that are around you, right? But for some reason, Paul put the next verse as a reminder that we shouldn't pass judgment on, on our friends. And I think sometimes it's because... When we get over things and when we get through things and when we grow in righteousness, the more we come to Sunday school, the more we come to church, the more we come to the mill, and the more we start reading the Bible and understanding, the, the more we put sin behind us and God before us. And we press on. 
But I think what Paul knew is that we have a tendency that we become holier than thou. And so as the better that we get, the better we think those all around us should be too. And so we start nitpicking and looking at the shortcomings of, of our friends and of the people that we associate with, and then especially the people that we really kind of don't associate with, right? And so we pass judgment, sometimes verbally, sometimes it's just by action and disassociation or by a look of disapproval. But it's very interesting to me because I, I think verse 12, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God, stands so strong and so true that, that we don't have time to pass judgment. But Paul, knowing the heart of man, had to write verse 13, therefore let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. So there's, there's a, an urge to care for your brother, but an admonition to not pass judgment. I was in the mall, and uh, you guys know at Chapel Hill's Mall, right outside of borders on the on the main level there's like a kid's playland and it's these like spongy like little houses and mountains and and these kids they just go crazy and all the parents kind of just sit on these benches and it's like the timeout for the day and 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 so you just you sit there and and you hope to god that that your three-year-old and your one-year-old don't get run over by the parents who allow their eight and nine-year-old kids to run through there and jump jump off of the house like just barely missing Kaylee by inches but so you you sit there while I was sitting there and and Emily said something about um looking at these kids who have pacifiers and I was I looked through the whole thing and, and I couldn't see any kids like running around with pacifiers and she was like no not in here in here and so I looked back over my shoulder kind of towards the borders area and sure enough here here are these they had to be in their 20s these two guys walking through the mall sucking on pacifiers if if i didn't immediately have this like correlation to they must be in a gang (laughs) i would have started pointing and laughing (laughs) but i just thought i i don't know if i should mess with these guys and because uh, I thought the the only reason why a grown man should have a pacifier in his mouth, there's there's two reasons. Okay. The first is if his son's pacifier fell on the ground and then you kind of brush it off, lick it before you put it in your son's mouth again. The second is you better be in a gang. <laughs> and so and so they they just like walked by and it was just this like casual you know just strutting along like I was like all right and and so I I thought about that and the thing about the thing about pacifiers the thing about pacifiers is that they mark a delay in maturity see because when you see a child with a pacifier you you can automatically put him into an age class an age group I I know that that pacifier, let's just assume that they were in some rough and tumble Colorado Springs gang that walks through <laughs> Chapel Hills Mall <laughs> in the middle of the day. Um, let's just assume that. Um, then 
I know that that pacifier is a mark to them as it places them in a community. So much like a tattoo or a uniform or whatever it is that a community would, would have together, theirs choosing for whatever reason to be a pacifier, that's a mark of community. And that's their choice. But I, I, would, I would also argue with them that that mark of community is also a mark of delay in maturity. Because just like my son, who's now just over three years old, and he still loves his pacifiers and chooses not to throw them away, and when we start talking about that, he starts crying, it's a mark of delay in maturity. But I would, I would say to all of us today that each and every one of us has, has in some way or the other walked through a Chapel Hills mall in our life with a pacifier in our mouth. Because I think each and every one of us has something that we hold on to. Maybe it's that thing which keeps us in community, but it's maybe that community that God wants us to move on from. Because as we grow, we, we go from stage to stage, and we have things that mark our life in those stages, but those things we put behind us. And so as, as we read verse 12 and as we say, God, I want to be holy just as you are holy. God, I want all that, all that you have for me in righteousness and godliness. God, I want that calling in my life. I want, I want to pursue that which you have for me. God, all I want is you. Then he says, listen and obey. And then he gives us, I think, stages and maybe sometimes timelines of putting things out of our life. Because pacifiers mark a delay in our maturity. And so those things which pacify us, we must, we must leave behind. The other thing that pacifiers do is they inhibit communication. See, because it's almost every night. I'll get Noah into his pajamas, read him a book, tuck him into bed, and then I'll, I'll kneel beside his bed. And before... Before we pray, I just kind of want to close out the day with him and talk about, talk about what he's done and, and just kind of be face-to-face -face with each other. And sometimes I know exactly what he's done throughout the day. Other times in the busyness of the mill and, and life in general, Emily's had the kids for most of the day, and, and I've heard bits and pieces, but I kind of want to have him tell me who he played with it. McDonald's Playland in the birthday party that he went to that day. And I want, I want to have him just tell me about it. Emily's kind of already told me about it, but it's from her perspective. And so sometimes at the end of the day, I, I sit there, well, you know what I do? He's tucked into bed, he's ready to go to bed, and he knows that we're getting ready to pray. But I'll take his pacifier out of his mouth. And I'll just say, hey, talk to me. What'd you do today? And it's in those moments that there's, he wants to tell stories, but he's still not, you, you don't have like a full-on conversation. I, I don't ever take him to Starbucks and just like sit across the table from him. That's what all you guys are for, to fill that need in my life. But, um, but so it's just a very simple, it's just a very simple conversation. It doesn't last more than a few minutes, but as a father, that's one of the most special moments in the day. But he, 
eventually reaches for the passy that I'm holding, and, and, and then I say, okay, let's pray, and then we pray. But when I thought about that, I, I thought, you know what? It's very true. If he's got a pacifier in his mouth, then he can't really carry on that conversation. And I thought, how many times have I had a pacifier in my mouth? How many times have, have I thought, let me just watch SportsCenter and kind of just veg when God just wants to say, tell me about your day. Because the more we get to know God, the more, the more we rely on his advice in our life and, and the blessing that he gives with us. And so I think that that would ring true if to nobody else but me in this room. And sometimes I look forward to teaching and, and speaking to a group because, because honestly, the majority of the time I do it, I, I'm speaking directly to myself. And so I have to think about all those different things that are in my life. Some of them, Sports Center. Sports Center, bad? No. Sports Center is awesome. <laughs> but if it takes away that time that I could spend in the Word or just spend saying, God, I'm here and I just want to talk to you, and then maybe it falls into the category of being a pacifier. See, one thing that I know is that, is that as my children grow, there's something inside of me that grieves for the end of a stage of life. That Noah is now so big that it's... I don't just like coddle him anymore. <laughs> if I try to do that and he's like awake, he'll kick and scream. And so I know that there's been, there's been plenty of times um, where after putting them to bed or, or whatever, I'll, I'll lay in my bed and I'll think back through that stage that I now know has, is coming to a close. Um, it's when... Kaylee has started walking and she's no longer crying. There's different, there's different stages that you, guys will, that you guys will for sure point out um, to yourself when you, when you have kids. But through those stages, the funny thing is, is I, and I didn't know that this happened, is that as a father you just you kind of grieve because you know that you're never, ever going to get that back. It's when, it's when uh, your parents drove you off to college and, and kind of left you there if you, went, if you went far away. Or if you moved out to Colorado Springs from a different state and, and they kind of helped you pack your car and, and waved goodbye, then you were the one that was excited and, and, and they were the ones that were crying. See, the heart, the heart of a father is that they know that at the end of a stage, things are just going to be different. It's why, it's why parents cry at weddings. Have you ever thought about that? It's not like... It's not like at weddings, you're never going to see these two people again. You're not going to see them for the next week or two. But you're not, it's not like they're just like, hey, I'm married, peace out. It's been nice knowing you. It's not that way. But why do people cry at weddings at the most joyous moment of your life? Your parents are bawling. And, and it's because we don't understand as we're kind of growing up. We're just like, yes, all right, I graduated high school or I graduated college or finally I'm getting married. You guys saw... If you guys had went to Jacob and Noel's wedding, Jacob was just like, giddy little kid, you know? But Noel's dad is crying. And, and it's because I think I as a father know that as, as that 
stage transitions, I didn't get enough pictures. I didn't get enough video. And I for sure didn't take enough time to just hug them and kiss them when they were that small. And so you kind of start something that, that you can't stop. And that grieves your heart a little bit, even though you're so joyous that one day, one day I'm going to really be able to play football with Noah or shoot baskets with Noah. And that makes me happy, but I'll never ever get to go back to that point where, where he was just little and he would just lie on my chest and take a nap. And so I think my point in this is that I want to live each stage of my life so well that my Heavenly Father, as I go to the next stage in life, thinks we took full advantage of that stage. There's no regrets in this stage in my relationship with Evan. That there weren't any moments that I would want to rewind and live differently. Because, because we grow and we mature and there's times in life, I think, where we have to seek God in such an intense way that, that kind of the world is dead to us. But then we move into transitions and stages where, where we're really helping our friends and, and our relationship with God is, is, is so much so that we're relying on God to pour into us so that we can pour out. And so there's different stages of life, but, but I know that if I grieve as my children grow, then God grieves as we in stages of our life. Romans 14, 13, therefore let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. Not everybody's written an autobiography. If every one of us had written an autobiography, then I think we would have a little bit more justification for passing judgment on each other. But you guys, you guys have heard the the story, and I'm not going to tell it all the way through, about, about the man that was on the bus, and he had, his, he had his children, and they were just completely out of control, running around on the bus, and all the other passengers on this bus are wondering why this dad is just sitting there not taking care of his kids. And finally, one of the passengers got enough guts to, to go over there and, and, and nudge him and say, get control of your kids. They're like touching us, they're screaming, they're doing all this stuff. And the guy kind of wakes up and is like, oh, I'm sorry, we just came from the hospital where my wife died. And it's that, it's that story that we have to remember when we interact with people, and maybe it's just in passing at the mill. Maybe it's in different social contexts where, where we think, man, I, I thought that guy was different, or I thought this girl was different. And, and we pass judgment. But since they haven't written an autobiography, we have no idea what just happened in their life. We have, we have no idea what is causing them to make a decision to go get drunk, to date this person or that person. And so I think, I think we have to give people a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. We, we have to, the room is so quiet, um, we, we, do, we do have to, 
we do have to live a life where we're not putting stumbling blocks in front of other people. But I think our love for people has to, has to exceed our judgment of them. And so I think, I think there's, there's a three-question quest, three test. And I give, I give Aaron Stern the credit for this because um, I learned it from him. But I think when, when you're thinking about passing judgment on somebody... I think you have to ask these questions. Is it your role? Is it your business? And last, have you been invited? Because if somebody comes to your small group and you know some of their shortcomings, some of their weaknesses, maybe it's, maybe it's very evident externally. Or maybe it's not so evident until your small group has kind of a, a function where a handful of you guys go out and do something and you hop into a car or, or you meet up at a different place. And sometimes some of those external forces, as, as, we, as we are pursuing God and we say, God, I, I, I want to get these pacifiers out of my life. God, I want to talk clearly with you. God, I don't, I don't want to just shut down at the end of the day, but I want to find you and listen to you and obey you. And sometimes when we're pursuing God with all of our heart, sometimes it's so easy to show up at a small group and immediately label somebody else. And, and I think we should put our label guns away back on the shelf. And, and I think we should just be completely oblivious sometimes to the other things in people's lives. Because, because I don't know that I necessarily have the right to tell somebody to stop doing this or to start doing this until they come to me and say, Evan, I, I really want to experience the presence of God in my life. And it just hasn't happened for a long, long time. If somebody says that to me, I, I know that that fits into the have you been invited question. And at that point, I can speak very plainly to that person. And maybe some of you guys in this room, I've, I've done it to, or you've been in a situation where we together have, have worked on that. And I can be brutally honest to people, but not until they invite me. And so if somebody says, Evan, I want to I be a missionary, or Evan, I, I, want, I want to be a teacher at a Christian high school, and, and I want to coach, I want to coach high school basketball and, and that'll be my way to really like develop these young guys and, and send them out and, and they'll think it'll just it'll be that I'm just their basketball coach but really 10 years from then I know that they'll look back and they'll say it had nothing to do with basketball yeah we were a good team yeah we we beat some people but it was really about the life that that I was living for them and, and the encouragement that I gave them if they if they say yeah that's what God's telling me that that I want to do, then I can say, okay, here's some things that need to change right now. Because I'm in, I have a role of being a father for Noah. So at some point, it won't be up to him, but it'll be completely up to me to take that pacifier, yank it out of his mouth, and throw it in the trash. Because if it's my role, I have every right to do that. But I guarantee you this, if any one of you guys 
came up to Noah, and he had his pacifier in. And you yanked it out of his mouth and threw it in the trash, and he started bawling. I'm not going to be mad at Noah for crying. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at you, and I'm going to say, who do you think you are? And that's my right as a father to not be concerned about the pacifier that was just yanked out of somebody's mouth, but to be concerned and focus my attention on the person who's yanking pacifiers out. Because I think all of us in this room could be very good at yanking pacifiers left and right out of each and every one of our mouth. But I don't think God's going to look down and be like, hey, way to go. <laughs> look at all those pacifiers you threw away today. That's a new record for you. I think, I think he's going to rage in fury at you because it's not your role. You haven't been invited, and to a degree, it's none of your business. You may love Noah. You may want the best for Noah. But when it comes down to it, it's, it's not your role. And so I think sometimes we get ourselves into a community, and we say, oh, yeah, we all go to the mill. More so, we all come to Sunday school. It's my right to tell you what I think you should do and what I think you shouldn't do. And so all of a sudden, there become cracks. Cracks form in communities when, when people start passing judgment. When they forget verse 12 and, and the context in which that is, that, that we have to work so hard at ourselves that we don't have enough time to do it. I'll tell you one thing. Being a dad is a full-time job. I didn't know it. <laughs> but it is a full-time job. And so... If you guys want that role, you're going to have to work really hard at it. And I guarantee you, you'll let other things slip if you just say, I'm going to be the judgment police at Mill Sunday School. Wait to be invited. Wait unless it's your role. And maybe the grayest part is, is it your business? Some of us need to stop being judgment entrepreneurs. <laughs> and, and we need to say, you know what? I don't need to diversify my judgment skills into this group. I've got enough going on because I know that we all have, we all have big circles, the mill. We all have medium-sized circles, Sunday school. And then we all have, whether we're in small groups or accountability groups or just a pocket of friends, we all have a smaller group. If we all took care of that smaller group first, <laughs> then a lot of the problems that kind of show up amongst larger communities would be taken care of. By the way, I have no idea why I'm talking about this today. <laughs> There's not a single person in this room that I hope if I make eye contact, you're not like, what does he know? <laughs> I I swear I don't know. I don't know anything. So you don't have to be as quiet as you guys are. Um, you guys are like, man, did Noel tell him something? Did Aaron tell him something? No, we don't tell each other anything, by the way. So um, <laughs> is it your role? Is it your business? Have you been invited? Think through those things the next time you're ready to yank a pacifier out of somebody else's mouth. Romans 13:12 says this. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. 
So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. I think sometimes we skip over phrases in the Bible like deeds of darkness. I think we reserve that to like the category of like the Blair Witch Project. It's like I'm not I'm not involved in witchcraft. <laughs> I'm not doing like seances at midnight. Halloween's not my favorite holiday. <laughs> so I'll just skip over that. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Paul wrote this. And he said, let us put aside the deeds of darkness. We skip over it because we categorize it in a different realm. And I think sometimes we don't, we don't reach the next level of righteousness because we, we don't categorize ourselves as, as having such and such fault. When God really does want to kind of pinpoint us and say, all right, Book of Romans this month, Sunday school, let's talk about a verse that says deeds of darkness in it. <laughs> so let's talk about it. There's, there's things that pacify us that we don't want to share with the person that's sitting next to us. And I think anything like that can be categorized as deeds of darkness. It's not witchcraft. It's not the worst of all things. It's not what you know somebody else is involved in. Deeds of darkness is anything that you kind of want to cover over and you don't want to share. And Paul was honest enough to say, let us put aside the deeds of darkness. And so when we look at it, sometimes those things in our lives or in our friends' lives aren't necessarily as obvious as a pacifier sticking out of their mouth. Sometimes it's things that we just wouldn't even have an idea about. Sometimes it goes as far-reaching as what Pastor Ted was dealing with. Sometimes it's very surfacy, but it's things that we wouldn't want to share with a Sunday school class and have everybody come up here up front and, and share their deed of darkness. <laughs> that would be kind of awkward. Um, that would stir the pot and we'd have a lot of work to do, I, I imagine. Some of us know that we've come out of things that, that we would easily qualify as deeds of darkness and we praise God for giving us the hope and the strength and the friendships that pulled us out of it. Uh, funny thing, I, one of my favorite show types on, on TV is like Flip That House or like the real estate pros, some of you guys don't know. Uh, I just like, I love the whole transformation process of somebody like going in, buying this cheap rundown house, totally fixing it up, putting like granite countertops and like the stainless steel appliances and the wood floors and new windows and all this stuff. And they buy it for so cheap. And then, and then with the crew and the speed of it, a couple weeks or a couple months later, they sell it for a major profit. And I just think, I could do that. <laughs> And so it's, it's this thing that I'm just like, Emily and I just love watching these shows. I get frustrated when I've seen the show before, and so I can't watch it because it's like, you just don't want to watch the show that you've already seen. And so you were kind of looking forward to 
watching it, but then it's like, what a letdown. So it's just one of those things that I just love. Well, there's one show where these guys, I think, are in like South Carolina, and this guy owns his own kind of real estate company. Well, uh, yesterday afternoon, there was this show was on, and uh, the interesting part about it wasn't that it was a little bit different. It wasn't just about a house. It was about this guy's old high school friend, and he found out that he his old high school friend had had bought a house, and then he took out this huge home equity line of credit, and he started these renovations, but instead of putting the money into the renovations, all of a sudden he started putting money into alcohol and into drugs, and he's just like throwing his life away, and then he found out that he wasn't living in that house that he was making renovations on, he was living at this other house, and he had like a raccoon and a pit bull, and he was just like, he was just totally lost. Like, he, the, the camera crew follows the guy who owns the business, and they show up at this house, and, and as, he's getting, as he's getting out of the truck, he's like, well, I sure hope he's here. I've called him a couple of times. And, and um, they, they walk into the house, and here's this schmo laying on a couch, like in this torn-up T-shirt and torn-up shorts. And I was like, man, you are on television <laughs> You are now being seen across the nation, and you are just a fat slob. Like, you are just totally, he was just, he was just out of it, and I just felt bad for him. But, but in, the point of it was, was that through, the, through this television program, this guy swooped in through his crew over at that house, and they renovated the house. They took this guy to a barber shop. They chopped off his massive, like, Grizzly Adams beard, and... And the guy that you looked at, 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 that he was laying on the couch, to the guy that, at the end of the show, he was standing there, and he was thanking his friend for taking some time to pull him out. And not a Christian program. Thanks, Mom. Get back to you later. Um, not a Christian program. Definitely <laughs> Christian message. My mom calls me all the time. My grandpa called me during the mill on Friday. I have a great family, but they have, they have no idea what I do. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, the guy's not a Christian, but there was something in his heart, something in his life that said, you know what, I knew who you were in high school when we were best friends, and I'm not going to stand idly by as you throw your life away right now. And I thought, man, am I doing that? Am I looking for those people in my life that maybe they're not in my life right now? Maybe, they're, maybe they were back in high school. Or maybe in the three years that I've been at the mill, maybe I've seen somebody three years ago and now they're at a totally different stage in their life and, and I know that they're throwing their life away. Do I have enough guts to spend my time and my resources to knock on somebody's door and pull them off the couch of their life and, and say, not on my watch. Because when you pass judgment on somebody, it has to be for the sole reason of you then assuming some of the responsibility to get them out of that situation. You can't drive past a house that's on fire and just talk about how stupid they were for letting their house burn. You better call 911. 
if you see somebody right there that needs help, you better do something about it. And so don't, don't just talk or don't just assume or don't just make, in your, make up in your mind the fact that, boy, they, they really screwed up. Assume some of the responsibility for it. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. See, armor here, we could, we could pass over that very easily too because, because none of us necessarily walk around with armor. It's not that we don't live in a castle. We don't have armored centurions that are kind of guiding our way and, and peering over the walls of our community to make sure that the next kingdom isn't coming to attack us. It's not part of our life. But what I think armor represents to us is this. I think armor represents maturity. Because you guys know that, that we don't send people overseas, we don't send people to Iraq or Afghanistan when they're 12 and 13 years old. We send them over when they're 17, 18, 21, all the way up to about 45. And, and so I think armor represents maturity. And so when we move stages in our life, we throw away those pacifiers. And as we get older, I think armor also represents kind of a commissioning. See, because when you put on armor, it tells everybody around you which vocation you work in. It tells, it tells everybody else that you have a duty to fulfill. And it tells everybody else that you have a certain level of ability that is going to be used in the service of something greater than just yourself. And so as we throw away those pacifiers in our life and, and as, as we learn how to rightly judge, the next thing we do is we look very introspectively at make sure that we don't have any deeds of darkness in our life and instead we say, God, I think I'm ready now to put on your armor, the armor of light. And, and we could go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, and talk about the armor of God. You guys know that. But some of you guys wait around for a calling. You wait around for a spouse. You wait around for these different things in life. God, if you'll just do this, then I'll move forward. And I think God's saying, choose to put on the armor of light, and then I can send you forth. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. The first thing somebody does when they go AWOL, absent without leave, is they abandon the uniform, they abandon the protection, they abandon the armor. And maybe there's some people in this room or some people that you know that have been AWOL for a little while. I think it's our job to carry around maybe an extra suit of armor and find those people that are wallowing in their own disaster, in their own choices, and then we take the responsibility to find them and to say, not on my watch. And you clean them up, you help them, and then you, put, you give them some armor 
you tell them the things that God's been speaking to you. You open up the Bible and you just shoot verses at them. After that, after the shooting at New Life, I called up one of my friends that's a youth pastor in the city for Dutch Sheets Church and a guy that I really, really respect. And I said, hey, let's get together. And so we met at Starbucks. And I just sat there and he just shot Bible verses at me. Man, did I feel better after that. Just an hour of sitting down with somebody and, and him just reassuring me. Not with anything that he said, not that he's been through anything like that. He just opened up the Bible. And he said, let me read you a few scriptures. Let me tell you what God's been speaking to me. I think that's what carrying around an extra suit of armor kind of looks like. is looking at the things that have gone on in, in people's life and, and saying, you know what, this person needs to be drugged to Starbucks. This person needs to be drugged out of their bed, off their couch, out of in front of their television, and instead of me just passing judgment on them, I'm going to pour into them. But interesting thing about the United States, Australia, um, a few other places, is we have a totally volunteer armed service corps. The majority of the world has what's called a draft or a, conscri or a conscription, which is forced service. You get to age 18 and you automatically go into the nation's army or navy. I think... I think God's army is very voluntary. I think he'll let us walk around as normal average citizens, accomplishing what we want to accomplish. But I think these verses tell us that at any moment, we could enlist ourselves. At any moment, we could say, you know what, I'm done living for myself. I'm done just passing judgment on other people. I'm done sucking on the pacifiers in my life. And now it's time for me to serve. And so I think there's people in this room that need to serve. I think there's people in this room that need to throw away their pacifiers, need to strap on the armor of light, and really seek God and press in and say, all right, God, I'm dressed and ready to go. Where do you want me to go? With that prayer, God will send you out. He will shoot you like an arrow out of his quiver. Your life will be forever changed. But you ha in order to get to that point, you have to realize those things that you allow to pacify yourself. Those things that you kind of compartmentalize and justify at the, end of the, at the end of a hard day, at the end of a difficult week, or around certain friends, you justify these things and you allow them to be your pacifiers. So eventually Noah is going to grow up and, and he's no longer going to have that pull of wanting to suck on a pacifier. I thought it should have already passed. As his father, I will help him move in that transition. I'm not upset with him. I'm not fiercely angry that he's three years old and still sucks on a pacifier. 
I just have a desire in my life for him to mature and throw that thing away. And I think that's what God has for each of us is an intense desire for us to get rid of those things so that he can slot us into the vocation and the calling that he has for us. you agree? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. God, we thank you for our community. We thank you for the mill and for Sunday school and for our small groups and for our closest friends. God, we ask that you would begin to help us put on the armor of light. God, that's, that's the stage that we want to be at, is wearing that armor. We want to have a vocation from you. We want to receive our orders and our duties from you, God. And so help us to throw away those things in our life that pacify us. Help us, God, that as we pursue righteousness and godliness, as, as, as we try to become more and more holy, that, that we don't just start passing judgment on the lives of those that are around us. But God, help us to remember that each of us will give an account of ourselves to you. And so that should keep us busy enough. But God, when it is our role and when we have been invited, God, when it is our business, give us the courage and the endurance to help pull those people in our life upward and onward. Draw each of us closer to you, God. Give us revelational knowledge of your word and of your will for our lives. We love you and we want to live our lives for you, God. Give us the strength to do that. We praise you today in Jesus' name. Amen.